0: Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station, or an educational institution that has an intracampus television hookup, or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives.
1: Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today we're gonna take a look at an institution that touches every person's life on the planet every day, and that is the United Nations. My guest today is an expert on this topic. Steve Schlesinger is a fellow at the Century Foundation in New York City. Mr. Schlesinger authored Active Creation, Founding of the United Nations, 20 years ago. Steve Schlesinger, congratulations on Founding of the United Nations, and welcome to Global Connections Television. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you being with me, Steve. Before we get into you, let's talk about your book just for a moment. What uh, You really wrote sort of the... uh, The manual for the United Nations really come right down to the historical manual, I should say, of the founding of the U.N. And you just celebrated the 20th anniversary. As you look at the U.N. over the last 78 years and over over the last 20 years since you wrote your book, what what's one or two of the most earth shattering changes or biggest changes at the U.N.
0: that you've seen? I, I suppose the biggest change is the sheer expansion of the U.N. into so many different areas. When, when the UN was set up in 1945, basically they, they only had a couple of different agencies beyond the organization itself. One was on refugees, and one related to the financial, I, I, International Monetary Fund. But today you have you know the World Health Organization. These all have been spun off in the last uh, 75 years. The uh, UNICEF, UNESCO, uh, the United Nations Development Program, and on, a Human Rights Council, these are all expansions of the original vision of, of the UN, all of which relate to the lives and, and careers and, and and the social standing of all these countries, 193 of them, in, al- in almost virtually every part of their livelihood and, and their social uh, intercourse. For example, even on... Uh, ocean voyages. There's there's uh, regulations that the UN have promulgated on how boats should be sailing on the seas and and uh, transportation uh, of various sorts, airlines. All these different facets of life have become now part of the UN agenda.
1: That, that is so accurate and you're absolutely right. And the UN was set up to really to deal with the scourge of war to promote economic and social development, and to enhance human rights. And as it went on, very quickly, it became apparent that there were many more problems than just those. And and you're right. That's how these groups got created. It wasn't mission creep per se. It was just that there were major problems, and they brought them to the UN. For example, how do you move aircraft, ships, mail, and weather information safely in international space? What do you do with their conflicts, regional conflicts or internal conflicts? And peacekeeping was not even included in the charter of the United Nations. And today we have what, 12 peacekeeping missions in some dangerous areas of the world. So the UN and the countries of the world saw that there was a need for it, and they created it and that's where we are today. Well, let's talk about that institution and see what can be done to improve it and make it more effective. Uh, where do you see some of the uh, some of the strengths of the UN right now, and what are some of the
0: weaknesses? Well, the strengths of the UN continue to be the issue of security, of trying to prevent the outbreak of war. I mean, you have to say we haven't had a third world war since the UN was set up, and in the twenty year, twenty five years previous to the UN, there had been two world war wars. So that alone is is a signal accomplishment by this organization, and certainly it has intervened in various conflicts around the world, whether it's be in uh, Guatemala or Ango- Angola or Cambodia, in, in ways that allow uh, peace settlements to occur. The UN comes in with its its mediators and tries to bring together the parties that are fighting, and then comes to an, helps come to an agreement and, and peace that is allowed in these conflict countries. That's a important thing because any one of these uh, disputes could spit out of control and bring in the great powers and suddenly you're talking about facing actually a third world war. So to, to the extent that the UN has stamped out these burning fires around the globe, it is done a, a quite extraordinary uh, thing for humankind. Of course, the UN has also not always been able to solve these problems. I mean, UN has tried to end the war in Syria, for example, and, and has had no luck over the years, uh, despite all the efforts that's been put in by, by the organization. And, and that's true uh, right now with the Ukrainian war, which, uh, of course, is been part of our life now for almost two, two and a half years. Uh, and again, the UN is trying, uh, in any way it can, it's better that it is trying to do something than to sit by and let these things, uh, become huger, m- more menacing conflagrations, which could draw in world war power, war, war, world war powers. And, uh, that we don't want to have the Second World War all over again. No, so, uh, please. My point is that that, but by, by its very existence, it is drawn into trying to settle disputes. It, it sometimes it it has been successful and sometimes it hasn't. But it's better that it exists now than to have no organization to which warring parties could turn otherwise.
1: So there are a lot of foreign policy experts who believe if the United Nations weren't there we would have had World War III by now and it's absolutely critical and we stop and think just flash back to 1962 with the Cuban Missile Crisis. We almost went to war with the old Soviet Union. We were just one red button push away and a lot of the negotiations that took place took place quietly behind the scenes at the United Nations and of course Ambassador Adelaide Stevenson of course was a Sort of a rock star in the UN Security Council at that time with his, his slide or pictures, and what have you, of, of the missiles. But no, the UN is not perfect. It's not always been successful, but it's still the only game in town and the only mechanism we have to turn to. But before I forget, it, Steve, I wanted to mention your website at com for our viewers who would like to go and get more information. I'm glad you mentioned Ukraine because this is something you and I have talked about and talked about with other folks too. How the UN Security Council, which is one of the six organs of the United Nations, the most powerful organ, has really been sort of semi-paralyzed because Russia will veto or did veto any anti-Russian resolution that came before the UN Security Council but by the same token, the rest of the U.N. system, the U.N. General Assembly, has taken considerable action. They voted to take Russia off of the U.N. Human Rights Council, which was very insulting to the Russians. They were not happy campers about that. The, there are U.N. agencies on the ground, the World Food Program, the U.N. Children's Fund, the, human, uh, the, uh, oh, the Refugees Program in Ukraine in so often in the line of fire helping to keep people alive so it's almost a schizophrenic situation at the un where you got the security council paralyzed and the rest of the un
0: system working to keep ukraine afloat yeah i mean it's uh, speaking of that schizophrenia um, we have the secretary general guterres who is who openly denounced russia's invasion the, the day that it happened now being the only negotiator that has been able to convince Putin to do anything of good. He was the one who intervened to convince Putin to allow Ukrainians trapped in Mariupol under these uh, famous steelworks to, uh, to allow them to peacefully get out of that uh, web of destruction and, and escape from, from the uh, turmoil and conflict. And he also was able to convince Putin to open up the ports on the Black Sea to uh, grain shipments. You know, Ukraine is famous for its granary, and, and much of those uh, shipments go to Africa. And And with, those shipments were cut off because of the war, but uh, Guterres convinced Putin that it would should be allowed, even while the war was going on, these shipments should be allowed to go to Africans who are otherwise would be starving. So to the extent that the UN General, uh, Secretary General has been able to at least accomplish those two objectives, it shows that the UN is playing a role even beyond all the agencies that are working right, right now on the ground.
1: And it's remarkable, too, that they were able to crack this deal because we didn't. most people never realized what an agricultural powerhouse Ukraine was until all of the foodstuffs were cut off the wheat and other commodities. African nations suffered. We in the West suffered to a large degree. It helped drive up food prices around the world, drove up the inflation rate. But that just shows the interdependence of the countries of the world and even a relatively small country, not land-wise, but, small players to some degree Ukraine still plays a critical role in this world and we really need to be aware of it. Well you're watching Global Connections Television which is a privately funded independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guest. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also if you are involved with the PBS or a community access television station, or perhaps an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or you have a podcast, or you just have a computer, you like our shows, and you would like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're taking a look at an institution that touches all 8 billion people on the planet every day, and that is the United Nations. My guest today is Mr. Steve Schlesinger. Mr. Schlesinger is a fellow at the Century Foundation in New York City. He authored Active Creation, Founding of the United Nations. Steve, we were talking about Ukraine and the situation there. The one player that's getting, well, let's say from most corners of the world has been Vladimir Putin. And of course, that brings to mind what Russia's role on the UN Security Council is as one of the five permanent members with veto power, which is very powerful. All five of them, the United Kingdom, the United States, China, uh, the UK, France, and Russia. Those are the critical players on the Security Council. A lot of people have been calling for more than just sanctions against Russia, but maybe to try to get Russia out of the UN. How do you view that?
0: Yeah, this is very much a uh, uh, continuing issue among critics of of, of the Ukrainian invasion. They would, in many ways, we've already punished Russia within the UN parameters by kicking it off the Human Rights Council. And also the UN General Assembly has expressed its denunciations of Russia's invasion by an overwhelming 141 of the countries of the 193 saying to Russia, get out. Uh, So UN is pretty much made clear to Putin where it stands, but some critics would like to go even further and kick the country out of the organization. But unfortunately, under the UN charter, as you pointed out, the R- Russian, Russian Federation has the veto power and therefore any attempt to kick it out would result in the Russians vetoing that such an action. Uh, and therefore, it's virtually impossible to uh, do more than you, you can isolate Russia within the UN, but you can't really throw it out. There are people who say, well, you know, when the Russian Federation replace the USSR, the uh, Soviet Union. It there was not a formal vote taken at that time, and therefore, perhaps its membership now is illegal. But unfortunately, from the the, the, uh, the argument fails because during when, when the Russian Federation proposed to come in on the basis that it reflected the old Soviet Union veto, no. But he objected at that time. And once you've passed uh, a membership without any objections from any country, you've pretty much made that a fa- fat accompli. And it seems very unlikely that at this point, any action can be taken against Russia. It is important, though, to note that it is very embarrassing to Russia to have been thrown off the Human Rights Council. It's totally, uh, you know a terrible sign that it can't can't get any support from the General Assembly. Only five countries, by the way, uh, supported Russia on on the whole, whole issue of invasion. And therefore, you're in a situation where Russia is isolated within the world community, and that is a glaring blow to its prestige and further makes it a pariah on the world scene. I think May eventually influence Russia to consider withdrawing its troops from Ukraine. It's really the one role that the UN critically plays in a dire situation like we face today.
1: I think you're correct on that. I think you're right. And the one thing we have to keep in mind, it's easy to say, well, Russia is the the enemy on this particular issue, but there are still areas of cooperation at the United Nations, many areas where Russia, the US, the UK and the UN system are working together. I mentioned before moving aircraft, ships, mail, weather information, being involved in combating pandemics, those types of things. Working on nuclear arms reduction. So even during the coldest days of the Cold War, there was cooperation. Uh, you wouldn't know it, but it was. You know more about it than I do. But that it's just not as easy to toss someone out. And just imagine Russia out all alone out of 193 countries would be 192. And who knows what kind of mischief Russia would get into at that point. But you mentioned the General Assembly. And before I forget it, I wanna bring up this, really this resolution that's kind of earth shattering. And we talk about small players at the United Nations. I think it was the Ambassador of Vanuatu who got this through. And the UN General Assembly voted on a measure Calling on the International Court of Justice, one of the five or one of the six organs of the UN, to establish obligations under international law for nations to protect their populations from the impacts of global heating. That's basically a call to arms to combat climate change. That seems like a huge step forward for the General Assembly, as I view it. How do, how do you see that?
0: I think you're right. You know, the the, the great role that the General Assembly plays, and as well as the UN itself, is a moral role. Uh, obviously, the, the UN organization is not a world government. It doesn't have troops, it doesn't have taxing powers, it doesn't have democratically elected delegates, and, and, and you know, it, it doesn't have uh, all the other you know indices of, of a, a government. And yet, it has tremendous moral authority. And so when the UN acts in, in such a way as, it, as you mentioned, it does have an impact on the world community, and uh, it's it's so from that point of view, um, it it the role that the UN plays is almost kind of spiritual in a funny way because it, it 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 goes beyond the borders of countries in, in a way that has an impact far beyond uh, rules and regulations that may may or may not be in in evidence. I think that. Um, When the UN decided to get involved in the whole issue of warming, and for that matter, uh, you know, has held several conferences on it, it has advanced the topic on the on the agenda of almost every nation on the planet. Uh, No other organization could do that. There's just no world body that gathers all the nations of the planet together, and so I always think. We should always remember that particular role that the U.N. plays, the moral role.
1: If the U.N. didn't exist today, we would have to create it tomorrow to deal with the problems that it's dealing with. And many of them effectively and some of them not so effectively. Well, we're about to run out of time, as always. That's the scourge of this particular program, I guess. But I was thinking, uh, we've been reading a lot lately about, well, back in March anyway, about the 20th anniversary of the invasion of Iraq, and now we've come with all the reporting and the evidence it was an illegal invasion by the United States and its 21 pals or whatever at that time led by George W. Bush. The media coverage, so much of it has said that the intelligence was bad. The intelligence was flawed. But I think back 20 years ago, and I followed this, and I know you did too, the intelligence wasn't bad. It wasn't flawed. As I recall, Hans Blix who headed up the observation teams in, in Iraq and, in fact, eliminated the weapons that Saddam did have after in the early 90s. How did you review or how did you view all of that reporting? It seemed to me like it was very dishonest reporting because it was an illegal invasion. The United States leaders, namely George Bush, Dick Cheney, folks like that, they cherry-picked the information. They distorted it. They wanted to go to war. We know it to this day, but what what role do you think the media has? Or maybe you don't
0: agree with that statement, but no, how, I, how do you view that? I, I do agree with you. I, I think it shows you the power of the presidency in influencing media coverage. And despite the fact that there were dissents at that time within Congress about the veracity mm-hmm. of this mm-hmm. idea that the weapons of mass destruction resided in Iraq, uh, and that there was no proof that those weapons really did exist, the, somehow the media took their uh, kind of tune from from the White House. Uh, they, they basically promulgated the charge that uh, President Bush uh, put forward that there were these nuclear weapons hidden away in Saddam Hussein's Iraq. It was total nonsense. The UN had put in inspectors, but they and they were pulling. They were reporting that there were not, they had not found any of these weapons, and just as they were completing their mission, uh, Bush didn't bother to even let them complete what they what they were doing, and he started he started the invasion. It was clear to me it was an ideological decision on Bush's part. He didn't really care at that point whether the, the weapons existed or not. He wanted to knock off. Saddam Hussein, whether for whatever reason, whether it was ideological, right-wing nationalism, the idea that his own father was had been um, threatened by the Iraq government for, with assassination. There are a lot of reasons behind it, but clearly he disregarded what the UN was finding, and therefore it was one of the gravest errors of American foreign policy literally in decades.
1: And it, all those reasons are accurate from what I understand, from what I've studied on it, but Another one, too, was a group of neoconservatives that wanted to get their hands on Iraqi oil. That was one of the main motivations of moving this forward. And, of course, the former Secretary General Kofi Annan was one of the first people who called it an illegal invasion, and he was just ripped. I mean, he was pilloried around the U.S., especially in the U.S., and he was right. He was right on target, and it was a violation of international law. But anyway, well, Steve, there's so many issues that we could talk about today. Unfortunately, the time won't allow us to do it, but uh, folks can go to your website or they can go to www.un.org to look at the vast, I mean, the myriad of activities the UN is involved in. It's just amazing. I was looking at the work schedule this week, and there are just dozens of major activities and conferences at the UN on indigenous peoples, on preventing violence against women. Just on across the board, but in the last 30 seconds we have, what information would you like to convey to our viewers to help us better understand the UN and the
0: role it plays? Well, I I really address this to my own countrymen because they're the ones who, who helped create and set up the UN. Pay attention to this organization. Be proud of it. Realize it's one of the great gifts this country gave to the world and support it.
1: Words to live by, and we should take them all to heart. Well, Steve Slesinger, I want to thank you so very much for a very interesting and a very important and informative session today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining me today on Global Connections Television.